Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. I, uh, my favorite, I think my favorite phrase to describe myself is, I'm excited, even though I have a Darth Vader face. <laughs> Very seldom changes or a Boba Fett face, um, but I'm excited for what God's going to do today. God is going to speak to us. I believe that God is going to open our ears and open our hearts, that we walk out of here more like who he is and less like who we were when we walked in. Because I know this, straight up, what this world needs is not Ryan Tatham. It needs Jesus. And Jesus chooses to represent himself on earth through the church. So what does that mean? That means we all need to die to ourselves and become less like us and more like him. And we're going to talk about that today. But first, I'm going to tell you a joke. I I need to tell you a joke. There's a couple things I need to clear up, though. Um, Last week, I said something in my message that some of, I guess some people mistaken his they thought I said full of shh. I don't do that. I didn't. I said foolish. I see the mix up. Believe me, I went back and listened. I was like, oh my goodness, it really does sound like I said full of the that. I was describing my sisters, so both apply, um, but... Uh, I, did, I said foolish. But you guys know why, what makes a dad joke a dad joke? Come on, it's a parent. It's so stupid. It, I know, it's dumb. It is, it's dumb. But this, this is a real joke. I heard this this week and I was like, I can't say that. But I'm going to, whether I should or not. But this little old lady, uh, you guys are going to hear the teenage boy come out in me right now, so that's all right. This little old lady um, went to the the doctor, and um, this doesn't describe any lady in our church, um, but this little old lady in particular went to the doctor, and she said, Doctor, I I need help with with gas. She said, I I just, I toot all the time. Um, Yeah, it's a flatulence joke, I'm not going to lie. and she's like, I, I, I toot all the time. I, I can't help it. In fact, since I've been in your office waiting on you, I've tooted 20 times just right now, just in the last couple minutes. And he goes, okay, I see. She's like, the thing is, they're silent and they don't stink. And he goes, okay, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. He's like, well, um, I'm, um, here, here's some pills. He gave her a prescription. He said, come back in a couple days and let me know how they're working. And so... Um, um, three or four days went by and, and this little old lady came back to the doctor and said, doctor, I don't know what was in those pills, but all of a sudden he, she said, my toots stink really bad, but they're still silent. He goes, okay, well, now that we got your sinuses fixed, let's work on your hearing. <laughs> Come on. That's, that's stupid. I, I laughed a lot harder. Evidently you guys don't have an inner teenage boy in 
I, I, I laughed for probably 10 minutes. I was like, stupid. Today we're going to launch into a new series um, called, What Does That Really Mean? And the reason why we're launching into this, and we're, this was actually a series for last year, and um, we ended up walking through Hebrews. And so, but the, the point of this series, this sermon series, is to, there are, there are Christianese words that we say in the church, and that we get so used to hearing them that we might honestly not know what they mean. We grow up hearing these words, we especially if you grow up in the church, but maybe you're new to the church and you're like, everyone else seems to know what that means. I don't know what that means. Honestly, a lot of people might not know what it means because if you grow up around something, you could kind of have a working definition. But if I asked some of these, like I bet all of us would kind of hit on it, but we're going to, we're going to walk through some common things that we talk about regularly in the church but define them so we can all be on the same basis and so we can all know. And these are doctrines of the church. These are necessary things that we need to know. This is not just like very, very common words. These are, these are things that we need to know. They're crucial to our walk with God. And so um, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be a good series. With that said, we're, we're going to launch into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 11, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, but I'm going to, at verse 11, I'm going to read also in the NIV. But the title of my message is pulled out of verse 11, and it's once like that. Everyone say with me, once like that. Once like that. In fact, if, um, he says, you were once like that. And so we're going to define today justification, sanctification, and repentance. But, we're, but before we jump into 1 Corinthians 6, I want to give a little context around what's going on because you guys know I like to walk through sections of Scripture. I like, I, I, uh, quite frankly, I like to walk through whole books of the Bible. And we actually might do a whole series on 1 Corinthians. It will take me five years. Um, but... I, I really believe that that church is a church in crisis. And 1 Corinthians is written to the church from the Apostle Paul. It's a letter that he wrote to a church that was in crisis. They had immorality running rampant in the church. They had people doing horrible things. And he has to step in in love and correct them. And he has to say some very hard things to them. He, like, we're going to read a section of scripture that he's correcting the church because, you know, the Bible says, Jesus says, we're in this world, right? But we're not of this world. So there should be a clear difference between how we handle things versus how the world handles things. But we're going to step into a sex, section of scripture here where the church is handling things amongst themselves the same way the world was and is bringing dishonor to the name of Jesus whom which we bear. The word Christian means little Christ. It doesn't mean be Christ-like. It means little Christ. And so we are to represent Christ on earth as his church. And so there's disputes. 
There's legal action against legal action amongst believers. There's division. Jesus, in the Last Supper, one of the things he prayed over the church, he says, Father, I pray that they are one as you and I are one. And what's happened ever since Jesus prayed that the enemy of our souls has worked so hard to sow dissension in the church. I talk to people a lot when I share my faith. And um, whether I'm at the gym or walking downtown or whatever, and I'll ask them, what do you guys know about Jesus? And they say, well, I'm, I'm a Baptist, I'm Pentecostal, I'm Church of Christ, I'm whatever. I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's not the question. What do you know about Jesus? Because God died to create one church. Man's opinion created denominations. And, and we get so divisive over secondary things. And we start identifying by the secondary things that we believe over our identity in Jesus Christ. And so we step here and there's division in the church and Paul's going to address it. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real with you. Towards the end of this, there's some trigger stuff. There's a, a few trigger items in here. Just because they're triggers doesn't mean we can ignore them. If God's word talks about it, it's our authority. We have to talk about it because we have to submit ourselves to the word of God. If we follow Jesus, God's word is our authority, whether we agree with it or not. So guess what? I'm going to give you a pop quiz real quick. If you disagree with God, who's wrong? We are, right? Because God's not. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 through 11 when one of you has a dispute with another believer, how dare you file a lawsuit and ask a secular court to decide the matter instead of taking it to other believers? Man, how has this changed in our culture, right? He's saying right here, he's like, man, there should be enough wisdom amongst the believers because we're led by the Holy Spirit to make decisions over this matter. There should be enough humility to accept that decision. Let's keep going. Don't you realize that someday we believers will judge the world? And since you are going to judge the world, can't you decide even these little things among yourselves? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? So you should surely be able to resolve ordinary disputes in this life. If you, have a legal dis if you have legal disputes about such matters, why go, outside, why go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? I am saying this to shame you. I told you, it was a heavy letter. Isn't there anyone in all the church who is wise enough to decide these issues? But instead, one believer sues another believer right in front of unbelievers. Even to have such lawsuits with one another is a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? What? He's actually posing this question. Is it better to represent Christ well and be cheated or to be right and represent him horribly? Who's Lord? Who's priority? Do I want to look good 
We don't want God to look good. Who gets glorified? Do we care about being right that much? Instead, you yourselves are the ones who do wrong and cheat even your fellow believers. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people Ooh, now we're getting into stuff that you can't see. Like, you, uh, okay, you can see all the other stuff. It's external, but you start getting into our greedy people. Like, you can't see that. Or our drunkards or abusive or cheap people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. Everyone say that with me. Let's just read that first sentence. Some of you were once like that. So all this heaviness, all this weight of correction lands and then there's this hope that he reminds them of the redeeming power of Jesus. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Now, I'm going to read that verse to you out of the NIV because this kind of spells it out a little bit. I like the NLT a lot because it reads at a sixth grade reading level. And I grew up in Arkansas. But the NIV has a higher reading level. And so it says... And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. How many of you guys have ever heard that word sanctified? Sanctified. Yeah, it's a big churchy word. You were justified. How many of you guys have ever heard the word justified? Yeah, justified. These are essential to our walk with God. We've heard them our whole lives. But some of, them might not, some of us might not be able to define them, but we're going to define them today. And we're going to talk about why they're so important and why God has to sanctify us, why he has to justify us. And how do we receive sanctification justification? You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. Praise God. That's encouraging. You were once like that. He's stepping in. When he said you were worshiping idols... They were literally going to temples that had man-made idols and worshiping them. And some of the, some of the ways they worshiped in, in Greek culture, this was a Greek, there, there was uh, different temples to Greek gods in, in Corinth. And some of how they worshiped was through um, homosexual sex, was through prostitution and different things like that. And so when you grew up in that culture, that's what you did. And God redeemed them out of it when they put made Jesus Lord of their life. And so um, I'm going to give you a little hint. God does not redeem out of stuff that stuff that he's okay with. I, w- I want to repeat that. God does not redeem people out of things when he's okay with it. So we have people getting redeemed all the time from these things. And, and we have, well, we're going to get into that later. So 
I want us to focus on, on a couple words today, sanctification and justification and repentance. I know he didn't say repentance, but repentance is the key to all of it. So I'm going to define for you sanct- uh, what it means to be sanctified. So this is the definition straight out of 1 Corinthians. This is what the Greek word actually means, to separate from profane things and dedicate to God, consecrate, to set apart things to God, Ded- dedicate people to God, to purify, to cleanse external, to purify internally by renewing of soul, to pur- of the soul, to purify or by expiation, free from guilt of sin, sanctified, okay? So sanctification, I, I'm going to give you a layman's definition now, because that's, that's what the Greek word means. Sanctification is a lifelong process of Holy Spirit making you look like Jesus, act like Jesus, speak like Jesus, pray like Jesus, have faith like Jesus, love like Jesus, essentially be like Jesus. That's sanctification. And it's a lifelong process that starts at the point of your salvation. There is not one person that has ever walked this face of the earth that has made Jesus Lord of their life that has ever been fully sanctified this side of heaven. It's a lifelong process of us in, in Romans 12, it says, making ourselves a living sacrifice. So we die to ourselves daily, as Jesus says. We, we, we die to ourselves daily, pick up our cross and follow him. So we die to our flesh daily, and then we follow Jesus. It's that lifelong process of Holy Spirit making you like Jesus. Over, He's setting you apart over the course of your whole life. You don't get fully sanctified this side of heaven. Now, but justification is different. You do get fully justified this side of heaven. And this is what justify, uh, justify means. To render or show or regard as just or innocent. Free, justify, be righteous. Only in the Bible and biblical definitions does they, do they use a word to define the word. It's like, what's a diamond? Well, it's a diamond. That doesn't help me. Um, so... Justification is the act of God, so by which he removes the guilt of your sin and puts on you Jesus' right standing, a.k.a. righteousness. Righteousness is literally right standing with God. You can't get to God without the righteousness of Christ. So he puts on you Jesus' righteousness and innocence with God the Father, he also gives you faith to believe and receive Jesus' righteousness and innocence through salvation. Romans says each of us are given a measure of faith. That's part of justification. You are fully justified. There is, you cannot become more righteous than what you already are. You cannot become more holy than what you already are. You can do all the right things. You can, you can walk little old ladies across the street. You can pray seven times a day. You can read your Bible every day for the rest of your life, and it will not make God love you more. It will not make you more righteous. It will not make you more holy. It might make you look like Jesus a little more. It might help the sanctification process, but it does not help the justification process. You are fully justified upon salvation. 
Like that means if you get saved this morning, you make Jesus Lord of your life and you repent of your sin and you walk out of here and die, you're fully right before God and you get to go to heaven. Even though your lifestyle might not have really changed all that much yet. Because you're fully holy before God. It's, it's, it's literally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear this. Imagine with me, this is your, your life's tainted in blood and nastiness and sin and gross. And God sees that. This is what justification does. And this is the blood of Jesus and the righteousness of Jesus. This is what justification does. Can you see it anymore? No. What do you see? The righteousness of Jesus. That's what God sees when he looks at us when we're in Christ. He only sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's why the Bible says God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become in Christ the righteousness of God. So our identity is the righteousness of God. So now that we have a working definition of both, sanctification, just to recap, is a lifelong process of the Holy Spirit making us like Jesus. Justification happens fully upon salvation where where you are holy before the Lord, you have right standing with God, you, you, are, you are just and right before the Lord. Now that we have that settled, why do we need it? Why do we need it? We can't get to God on our own. You can, if you were born in a monastery, never did anything wrong, you're still a sinner. Apart from Jesus. You're tainted with sin. And the reason why is because you are getting older and dying slowly over time. The wages of sin is death. Death is always the overflow of sin. So I don't care if you live a really good life and you don't really sin, you don't, you know, all that stuff, but you never made Jesus Lord of your life. The fact that you're dying slowly over time is proof that you're a sinner. And you have to be renewed. Actually, you don't have to be renewed. You have to be born again. And so why do we need it? To understand this, I feel like that that crazy guy that's trying to connect all the dots, you know, like, okay, well, this is connected to this over here. And to understand why we need justification and sanctification, we have to understand some, some qualities of God. There are eternal attributes that describe God. Let's just name a few. He is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful. He will never diminish in power. He always has power. He will always be all-powerful. He is eternal. He always was. He always will be. There will never be a moment without him. He existed before time began, and he will exist after time ends. He exists out time, outside of time and space. He's eternal. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. There's not one thing that he doesn't know. He knows past, present, future. He knows intricacies of everything. He's everywhere at once. There's not a place you can go to escape him. He's everywhere. That's what we call omnipresent. He is love. 
Like, love is not something God does. He does love. But the reason why he does love is because he is love. He's the embodiment of love. He's the definition of love. And, and when, you, when, you, when you hear the world define love, it's usually based on you love me, I love you. It's mutual. But God's love is unconditional. It's what they call agape. And so it, he is love, though. The world has a tainted version of his love. His love is perfect, his love, and his love is always right. His love drives out fear. If you're in a relationship with someone who loves you and you feel fear around them, that's not love. The Bible says perfect love drives out all fear. And so God is love. God is holy. It's kind of interesting, like, the Bible says be holy for he is holy. But, like, what's the definition of holiness? God. God is holy. It's, holiness is like the opposite of sin and death. He, 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 he doesn't just do holy. He is holy. He is the embodiment of holiness. He's the embodiment of opposite of death. He's life. So out of, I, I want us to hone in on two eternal qualities. So all those are eternal to God. That, that's like, they always have been a part of him. And the two I want to hone in on today is love and holiness. Because his love and holiness are the reason why we need justification and sanctification. These core doctrines of the church. Out of his love flows a whole lot of things. Out of his love flows this thing called grace. It's unearned favor from God. We can't earn it, literally. There's nothing we can offer to God to get his favor and love. We can't do it, but he gives it freely. That's grace. That flows out of his love. Mercy. Mercy flows out of his love. Mercy is the act of God through which he does not give us what we deserve. So he holds back his wrath by giving us mercy. His compassion flows out of his love. He feels when we hurt. He feels when we have needs. That's why he, he's not a cold God. He's not a distant God. He's in the midst of us and he, he steps in. How many of you guys have ever had a need and you're like, I don't know how we're going to work this out and, and, and out of nowhere, God provides. Because he cares for your needs. Because compassion flows out of his love and out of his holiness. Out of his holiness flows a whole lot. Holiness is the opposite of sin and death. Life flows out of holiness. Life itself flows out of holiness. If, if, if death flows out of sin, life flows out of holiness. Holiness will always bring life. But, but the thing is, it's not just any holiness. Because there's like people that we call holy people like the like Dalai Lama or whatever. They're not holy. They're actually demonic. He might live a great life, but he's not holy. He might write cool books, but he's not holy. The only way you can be holy is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's only God's holiness that brings life. So 
What else flows out? Righteousness, right standing with God, flows out of holiness. What else flows out of holiness? This is what we don't like to talk about in the church. Wrath. Wrath towards sin flows out of his holiness. Because sin is an affront to God's holiness. His very nature can't stand sin. Who he is can't stand it. So what we have here is a conflict within a holy God and an eternal God. We have eternal qualities that out of those eternal qualities, love and holiness flows actually temporary qualities of God. Did you know that mercy is not an eternal quality of God? It's a result of sin. And wrath is not an eternal quality of God. It's a result of sin. Because sin entered the world, God's holiness demands wrath. But because sin entered the world, God's love demands mercy to the sinner. I once heard it in college, I heard it put this way. We have a schizophrenic God. You can't say that. He struggles. Because mercy and wrath are not eternal attributes of God. They're a result because there's sin in the world. His holiness says, crush the sin. Pour out your wrath on the sin. It's an affront to me. And his love says, have mercy on sinners because I love them so much. And so God can't destroy sinners. But he can't let sinners into his presence. So he's at a conundrum. There's a real pickle going on here. In steps justification and sanctification. How do we receive justification? Just as if I never sinned. I'm made holy before the Lord. The only way I can approach God is to be holy because his holiness can't stand the presence of sin. So, but then, so as mercy, so we have people that just preach grace and mercy and like, oh, just come as you are. Come as you are, but you have to repent to be made holy. Because his holiness, you can come as you are and go to church for 30 years. If you never made Jesus Lord of your life, you're still going to hell. Because you're not holy. If you're affirming things, man, we have people in this world. We have, we have Christians who are making things sin that are not sin. And we have people who are making things not sin that clearly are sin. But at the end of the day, there's only one person that can define sin, and it is God Almighty. Culture does have, has no right or authority to define what is an affront to God's holiness. That's what sin is. It's a trespass to God's holiness. Government has no right to define what is an affront to God's holiness. Not now, not ever. Only God has the right to define what is an affront to his holiness because he is the only one who is truly holy. And when we have culture define what is an affront to God's holiness, we get the United States. 
When we have government define what is an affront to God's holiness, we get the Holocaust. Because guess what? In Nazi Germany, it wasn't illegal to persecute Jews. It wasn't illegal to murder them by the millions. In, in Russia, it wasn't illegal to starve out the population. That was legalized. Was it sinful? Was it wrong? How many of you guys believe the Holocaust was wrong? How many of you guys believe the genocide the Russians were doing is wrong? How many of you guys just believe genocide is wrong in general? That's good. We can all agree on that. Know why you can agree on that? Because God defined it. If you let anything else define it, you have no basis to stand on. Right now in China, there's genocide going on. It's wrong. I don't care who is in control. Genocide is wrong. Persecution of people is wrong. I don't care if they, they look different, they smell different, they act different, they vote different. I don't care about that. They have a different religion. Persecution is wrong. That's why the gospel message of Jesus Christ is the only truly inclusive message of Jesus. It's inclusive in the fact that everyone are welcome to it. It's exclusive in the fact that you have to repent and be born again to receive it. Not all roads lead to Rome. So God is completely holy and he demands wrath on sin. But he's completely love and he demands mercy to the sinner. So how does he resolve this internal conflict as a result of sin in this world? In steps Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer, always has been the answer, always will be the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus, you have a problem in your life, take it to Jesus. He's the answer. You have a need in your life, take it to Jesus. He's the answer. You, have, you need healing in your life, take it to Jesus. He is healing. Jesus is the answer to whatever you're going through. And Jesus is the answer for this conflict with God. Jesus steps into humanity for 33 years. He lives a sinless life, fully god fully man, 30 years of preparation for three years of ministry, for three hours of purpose on the cross to set us free from the powers of sin, hell, and the grave, to three days later be rose from the dead to give us relationship with the Father so that we can be justified and sanctified. Jesus is the answer. I once had a third grade uh, friend of mine, we had homework, and um, it, like, it was like a tree. It's like a spelling thing. And all the letters were five-letter. It was five-letter words, and you had to figure it out. And he went through because he, he heard at church that Jesus is the answer. He put Jesus on all, like, 20 answers. In that case, in that particular circumstance, he actually failed that. But his, he, got a, he got a smiley face next to it, though. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. God literally took Jesus, a sinless man, fully God, fully man, nailed him to the cross. The Bible says, I quoted it earlier, it's actually in 1 Corinthians, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. 
God made him sin on the cross, poured out all. This is how Jesus satisfied the wrath of God. The holiness of God demands wrath on sin. God poured his wrath out on Jesus entirely. So, so you know, sometimes we think like, man, I messed up and God's, God's just out to get me. I've heard that and condemnation comes in. I'm like, no, wait, wait, wait. Theologically, that's completely wrong thinking. God does not pour his wrath out on humanity anymore. That's Old Testament stuff. He poured out his wrath entirely on Jesus for the punishment of sin. Now what happens in our world is when sin increases, death increases. Like you just go into a culture that is completely just sold over to sin. What's the overflow of sin? God doesn't have to pour out wrath. Sin is his own wrath. God doesn't pour out wrath against sin because that means the cross of Jesus wasn't enough. He poured out his wrath entirely on Jesus on the cross so he could pour out his righteousness entirely on us. It's called the great exchange. Jesus took sin so that we could take the righteousness of God and have relationship. We are covered. We're not sinless. Sanctification, remember, is a lifelong process of the Holy Spirit making us like Jesus. It's not that you're sinless. It's that the more you serve Jesus, is. I once heard it said, sanctification is the fact that we sin less and less over the course of our life. Because he's making you like Jesus. Your wants and your desires change when you serve Jesus, when you die to yourself. You're like, I don't want to do that anymore because you're born again. You are a new creation in Christ. I know, you know, God is the creator of all things. He alone gets to define what sin is. And there is, there's a lot of trigger things that we talked about today. We read it. And, and God said, they don't, they don't get to enter the kingdom of God. But does that mean that we stop loving people? No, we love them like Jesus loves them. Jesus died for every single person on this planet. And if the Holy Spirit's making us like Jesus through sanctification, we love people. That means we have compassion on people. We reach out to people. We share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God's holiness demands wrath on sin and God's love demands mercy on the sinner. So Jesus is the answer. He's the answer to the wrath and the mercy of God. Verse 11 nails it. I'm going to read it again. And some of you were once like that, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. That means no matter where you're at on the spectrum, if maybe what we read earlier, I'll just go back and read it real quick. Really, you know, it says, don't, you, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery, and idols aren't like little figures anymore. 
Anything we put above God in our life is an idol. Anything. Anything we put above God in our life. It could be your spouse can become an idol. I have to tell Amy all the time, stop worshiping me. <laughs> that, was, that was sarcasm. Um, those, or, or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or are greedy, or are drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. They just won't. They're an affront. God has nothing but wrath for those things. But the next verse says, but some of you were once like that. That means God has redemption. So maybe you find yourself in, in this realm. I say sexual sin, man, that covers a whole lot of stuff. Pornography, um, lust, all, all sorts of things. Cheating people, I mean, that means just lying. Like, you're not honest. You know, you get that little chill going like, is he talking about me? Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. I don't know. I'm not God. But I will say this, there's hope. There's hope. Because if a church in crisis, he can confidently say some of you were once, some of them were homosexual, some of them were, were um, male prostitutes, some of them were cheats, some of them were idol worshipers, some of them... And God redeemed. God redeems. He redeems. He redeems. Some of us need to hear this. God redeems. Say it with me. God redeems. God redeems. So if you find yourself far from God, God redeems and God restores. So Jesus stepped in. And he satisfied the holiness of God by taking the wrath of God. And he satisfied the love of God by providing mercy for all of us. But how do we get it? So now that we understand what it is, justification, sanctification, and why we need it, the wrath and the mercy, how do we get it? It's one word. Repentance. You know, Jesus did not preach, ask me into your heart, or accept me. He didn't preach that. You know what he preached, town to town? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repentance, man, we don't talk about repentance a lot. In the Old Testament, it meant, this is what repentance meant in the Old Testament. It meant going a new direction. In the New Testament, it meant changing the way you think. So in Romans chapter 12, it says, I beseech you, my brothers, in view of God's mercy, to present yourself a living sacrifice, be holy and pleasing unto God. This is your reasonable service. And don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by changing the way you think. The Holy Spirit changes us. So we, how, how, how do we repent? It means going a new direction, and changing the way we think. So that means when we run into something that we disagree with that God says, we come into agreement with God. Repentance is essentially, is God, I agree with you. 
change my thinking and life until it comes into agreement with you. That's what repentance is. So when we read sections of scripture like this and you're like, man, culture says this is okay, it doesn't really matter. What matters is what God says. And so I have to repent of my culture-charged mind so I can come into agreement with God. We don't condone, we don't condemn, we don't do any of that. We preach love and grace and we give people the gospel and let the Holy Spirit transform them and we love people. That's our job. We plant seeds of the gospel and let the Holy Spirit transform. But he redeems, he restores, and he changes. Our job is to walk in repentance. And when we walk in repentance, we will be justified. When we repent before the Lord and say, God, forgive me, you're fully justified, and then he starts sanctifying you. But sanctification only works with a repentant heart. It works in conjunction we walk in repentance. We walk in this continual walk with God of saying, God, I agree with you. God, I agree with you. What your word says is true. What your word says is true. What your word says is true. It always has been, always will be. It is infallible. It, the, the Bible is infallible. That infallible is a word that means without error. It, God did not make a mistake. It was written by a lot of men through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is divine. It is there to correct and rebuke and to encourage and to push us forward. God's word is anointed. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. God's word is our charge. God's word is our, is our base. And, and we, can either, we can either stand on the word of God and, and submit to it, or we can deny it. And that's what's happening in the church today. And that's, that's the root of unrepentance, is disagreeing with God. But when you, when you say Jesus is Lord of your life, that means you're saying, I submit myself to the word of God. His word reigns over my mind. What he says goes. If he says it's sin, it's sin. If he says it's okay, it's okay. But I'm going to submit myself to the word. But what happens a lot of times is we start that way, but then we start listening to preachers and then we get out of the word. And as a church, I charge you, read the word, read the word, read the word for yourselves. I don't want to have to do, I, I'm going to do a book report every Sunday anyways, but you need to be reading the word. That's how you get, submit, submit yourself to the Lord. You read the word and you say, God, I, I'm really wrestling with this because this guy said this or this preacher said that. I'm really wrestling, but your word says this. Holy Spirit, I, I, I agree with you. That's repentance. And when you do that, the Holy Spirit sanctifies you. He makes you like Jesus. But it starts with repentance. What God says is right is right. What God says is wrong is wrong. I submit to the word of God. That's repentance. Most people don't fall out of belief in Jesus. If I, if I walk around downtown, I could ask them if they believe in Jesus. I'm like, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I, I talked to a guy... He was high out of his mind at a first Friday. 
and he was hugging trees, and it, it was weird. It was, it, he was like, he's like, do you feel this power in my fingers? He's like trying to ground them. It was weird. I was like, dude, are you all right? I'm like, I'm about to cast some demons out. This is, and I'm like, do you believe in Jesus? He's like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm like, all right. I asked the wrong question. Because guess who else believes in Jesus? The devil believes in Jesus and demons believe in Jesus. And they tremble. The problem is Christians believe in Jesus and don't tremble. The difference also is we have the opportunity to repent. They don't. But if devils believe in Jesus and we can believe in Jesus, we could both be unrepentant and still go to hell. And that's hard. I don't want anyone I ever talk to to go to hell when salvation is available through the person of Jesus Christ. But it starts with repentance. There are some people here today that have fallen out of repentance. You, you still love Jesus. But you haven't agreed with him in a while. I've, I've heard it, I've heard, I've had, te- I have teenagers when I was a youth pastor say, me and God have an agreement. I'm like, no, you don't. The agreement that God has is in the word of God. It's make Jesus Lord of your life. Believe that he died on the cross. Believe that he's the son of God. Repent of your sins. That's the agreement. It's not negotiable. It's Repentance. And when you repent, God fully makes you right. And then he makes you like Jesus over the course of your life. He justifies you and sanctifies you. But some of us here today have fallen out of repentance. Some of us here today need to repent of that. If you're, if you're here and you're like, man, I, I've never asked Jesus into my life. It's so simple. It really is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what's required. It's Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm wrong. You're right. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. Come be Lord of my life. If you say that and believe it, the Bible says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, then you are saved. You are born again. But there's some people here that's, that, that you're a Christian, but you've kind of fallen out of repentance. Not out of love, but out of repentance. You've, sometimes you disagree with God. And you need to realign your heart to say, God, you're right and I'm wrong. Because when you disagree with God, who's wrong? And when we humble ourselves to do that, you'll find that what you're disagreeing with, you'll you'll find that he's actually right. (laughs) He really is. When you humble yourself, the Bible says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand and in due time he'll lift you up in honor. But repentance, you can't repent without humility. Well, I'm fine the way I am. You're not. And maybe, maybe, you, maybe you're good in your relationship with God. Maybe you really are. You're just, you're, you're, you're killing it. 
you're walking with Jesus, and he's growing you, and, and you're being sanctified, and you're, you are walking in repentance, that's why we're going to have an opportunity to worship. You could just raise your hands and worship and, and give him all the praise he's due. But man, if, if you're here and you do need to repent or you do need to make Jesus the Lord of your life, don't walk out of here without doing that. Because God wants to justify you. He wants to make you right. God wants to make you like Jesus. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to justify and sanctify. He doesn't want you to walk out of here the same way. He wants you to have the testimony of you were once like that. That could be your testimony. You can look back at this in six months and say, man, that Sunday in May 2023 at C1 Church, I repented before the Lord and I was once like that, but now I'm different. God wants to do that for you. So let's stand. It's easier to respond when your legs are active. If you need prayer, I'm going to be up here. My wife's going to be up here. If you need Jesus, we want to make that introduction. But what I don't want you to do is if you're feeling the tug of the Holy Spirit, if you're feeling like, I need to go down. But what will people think? Who cares? You answer to God. The first step is the hardest. I don't want you to walk out the same way you walked in. Submission to God. God wants to justify you. He wants to sanctify you. It starts with repentance. Father, I just thank you for what you're about to do. I thank you, Father, for your word. Now, Lord, as we respond and worship to your word, I pray right now that, that you'll work on us. In the name of Jesus.